Welcome to the most enchanted podcast in all the realms. I'm Lynn. I'm Elisa. And I'm Chell. Together, we are the, the Narrators, Narrators 3. And this is Once Upon a Rewatch, where all plot devices come with a price. Welcome to Once Upon a Rewatch, Season 3, Episode 17, The Jolly Roger. The original air date was April 13th, 2014. The writer was David H. Goodman. The director was Ernest Dickerson. He's a guest director who worked on The Wire, Burn Notice, Dexter, Treme, The Walking Dead, and Boschk. The title card was David's Truck. I can't imagine the people who were watching this for the very first time. It's an episode called The Jolly Roger, and then like David's Truck pulls up in the title card, and you're like, the fuck? <laughs> and, like, little do you know how integral. <laughs> David's truck, truck is going to be to this episode. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> like I, I had to do a double take when you know I was putting that information. I was like, David's truck, and then I saw the episode and I was like, oh yeah, <laughs> the true hero of the episode, David's truck. David's, David's truck. truck. We begin in the enchanted forest of the near past, where a carriage speeding along a darkened forest road is stopped by a man in full armor. Hey, look, knights in normal headgear. Much more dashing. Regina's knights, please take note. Yeah, you guys look stupid. Mm. <laughs> Bye, guys. The knight informs the guards of the carriage that he and his men will be taking the carriage. After they appear to be surrounded, the hired guards realize this nonsense is above their pay grade and ride away. The robber is revealed to be none other than Hook, dressed in armor. He steals a chest full of gold and jewels with the help of Smee, and a very meager crew of two. He looks so whittle in his armor. <laughs> he did. <laughs> He's just so whittle. He's so little. They confirm their bounty. A chest filled with precious stones, jewelry, and gold. Also, I love the exchange here where we learn that Smee didn't actually mind being a rat that much. I like to imagine he was like living the cushy life as a pet of like grace or one of the other kids in storybrook just being hand-fed crackers all the time yeah <laughs> i don't know that's that's a little too peter pettigrew for me i'm i'm just like nope 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 i think he's you know what maybe he was temple tending it up and he was like enjoying the cushy life like looking for like just hanging out in the dumpster behind grannies, grannies yeah yeah, yeah. smorgasbord smorgasbord orgasbord orgasbord <laughs> The men then celebrate at a tavern, where the crew has paid for a woman to spend the night with Hook. Paid for lady favors. Okay, Grog. <laughs> she leads him outside, where Killian gives her a pouch of gold to keep up the pretense that they slept together, before he tells her goodnight. Shortly after she leaves, Hook is ambushed by none other than Ariel. <laughs> Yay, Ariel's back! Who tells him that you're going to pay for what you've done. For what he done? <laughs> In present-day Storybrooke, Emma and David are at the loft trying to assemble a crib for the unborn baby, while Mary Margaret expresses her worry regarding Zelina and Gold. David explains that the crib is a statement, we will not lose another baby. I love that Mary Margaret is all, should I just call Marco to figure this thing out? Like, it's like, oh, bless you, Mary Margaret, but Marco would just turn that crib into a twisted sister for August. Hell no. 
<laughs> I am now terrified of this mental image. And all I wanted to say about this scene before was just how cute I found David and, and Emma assembling Ikea furniture for, you know, his, his wife and her mom. And it was cute. <laughs> now I'm haunted. Now you've tainted it. <laughs> with my with my Pinocchio and the Emperor of the Night reference. Uh, with Twyla, the the girl puppet. I don't even know what this is, but I don't like it. I'm assuming it's a horror movie. No. No. It's a, it is a cartoon. It is Wait, a cartoon That sounds film. so familiar. Yeah. Oh, yes, it is. And I'm going to re-traumatize you, but oh, I'm putting it on the list. I'm putting it on the list. You're going to, I'm sorry. You're going to have to sit through it now. Oh, no. What I've seen Pinocchio's again? Christmas. I've seen that. The Ring Pinocchio of and the Emperor of the Night. Okay, because I have this weird memory of seeing a Pinocchio film as a child mm-hmm. that I've like been trying to find for years and I only have vaguer memories of it. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it might have been this one. I'm look, I'm going to send you a link right now. I'm so scared. You should be. You should absolutely, you should 100% be terrified of this. I got to rewatch this. I might do that tomorrow. (laughs) Back to Once Upon a Time. (laughs) Moving right along. Regina then enters and tells them that she has created a protection spell, which cannot be undone by blood magic, so the baby will be safe. And gosh, Regina is just like beaming in this scene. It's like she loves being needed to help the charming family with her magic. It's strangely cute. She's just so pleased at like, yeah, they need they need me to do favors for them. I'm <laughs> keeping them safe. I'm not mm. trying to kill them this time. I'm keeping them safe. I'm so proud of me. <laughs> I'm one of the good guys. <laughs> Henry's going to be so proud when he remembers who I am. <laughs> Mary Margaret inquires why Zelina wants her baby to begin with, which makes Regina reply, the number of spells involving baby parts would surprise you. Ma'am. This is a kid show. Emma believes that the best strategy is to attack before Zelina does. But Regina reminds her that she barely outwitted her half-sister. Emma asks Regina to team up and teach her how to use magic again. Regina accepts with the conditions that Emma will take it seriously, and they will be doing it Regina's way. I bet they will. (laughs) Regina is pleased as punch to be resuming magic lessons with Emma. She's like nearly giddy. After Regina leaves, the Charmings offer to watch Henry, but get a shock when Emma awkwardly reveals that Henry found the baby talk overwhelming and not fun. Oh, we're fun, Mary Margaret insists, but Emma says that Henry disagrees. Well, if we're not fun, who is? David demands. Guilty! Emma looks away from her parents as the scene switches to Killian overlooking the ocean at the docks. Poor Snow is so indignant that the children don't think she's hip. <laughs> I know. They're so sad that Henry thinks they're lame. I just love her just be like, we're fun! I know. <laughs> oh, we're fun. Like, like she's gonna punch someone about the fact. <laughs> she doesn't know who, but she's gonna start a fight about Henry not thinking she's cool. Yeah. Hook and Smee are at the docks and discuss why they are not crewing up again and going pirating. And I'm like, what pirating are you going to do in, in Maine, Smee? <laughs> are you going to start uploading HBO shows to torrent sites? Smee isn't smart enough to run a megalode empire. The feds would be on him like rats to cheese. Look at all the ominous letters. Do you remember when the ominous letters started being sent out to people downloading the first season of Game of Thrones? Oh, yeah. No, I never got it. Oh, man, my torrent must have been a little bit more secure. <laughs> Hook explains that Zelina is still a threat. 
one none of them should take lightly, and that there is not a safe passage. Smee asks him of the location of the Jolly Roger, but Hook says that he has no intention of leaving Storybrook because of his own private reasons. Hook warns Smee that if he ever brings up this discussion, there will be consequences. Emma and Henry walk up just as Smee scurries away. Emma then asks Hook if he could watch Henry, and Hook flirts with her, telling her if she wants to get close with him, all she has to do is ask. I'll she barf, tells- just babysit my kid. <laughs> <laughs> she tells him about her teaming up with Regina, which Hook comments that it's the first reasonable plan since this all began. He tells her that it's about time to embrace the magic that is already a part of her, but Emma only wants to embrace it for the battle against the Wicked Witch of the West. And afterwards, she is done with Storybrook. She wants to give Henry the life she always wanted for him. He tells her he tried to go back to the old life he had before the curse, but could not. Emma presses him to share what happened during the last year, but he evades the question with the warning instead that no matter how much Emma wishes she could go back to her old life, she cannot do it. Also, poor Jennifer's voice was so, like, shot and raw in the scene. Yeah. I really hope she got to, like, drink green tea and honey with lemon after this part, because it's, it's clear she was recording sick. I felt really bad for her. Mary Margaret and David walk along the shore discussing Henry and what they can do to change his mind about them being boring. When they see a crowd of people surrounding something, and Mary Margaret and David are, like, at peak adorableness as they walk under their shared umbrella at the beach like my heart couldn't take it they were so cute in this scene they were very cute it was so cute david and mary margaret find ariel back in her human form she does not remember a thing about the past year and tells the charmings that she has been searching for prince eric who has gone missing she returned to storybrook in hopes that she had overlooked something and the charmings point her in the direction of hook Back in the enchanted forest, Ariel is holding a sword to Hook's neck and accuses him of kidnapping Prince Eric, which Hook denies, and he uses her momentary confusion to turn the tables on her. Ariel is not convinced, as one of Prince Eric's crewmen had escaped and told them the name of the ship, the Jolly Roger. Hook, not having the ship in his possession, orders her to tell him about the commander of the ship. The crew got away with the same dagger that Hook was holding against Ariel's neck, engraved BB. Hook then returns to the tavern to get his crew and informs Smee that Blackbeard has the Jolly Roger. Oh shit, I love Taika Waititi. Season 2 cannot come fast enough. Gay pirates, gay pirates, gay pirates! I love them so much. Me too. Smee balks at this as Blackbeard is the most cutthroat pirate to ever hoist a sail. After Hook, of course. Smee corrects himself after Hook glares at him. Smee warns Hook not to tempt fate, and Hook confesses that the ship is the part of him that is missing, and talks about his ship as if it were a woman. This is just the Futurama Star Trek gag of, alas, my ship, who I love like a woman. I thought of that too at this part. I was like, oh, it's, it's Futurama Kirk. It it absolutely is just the Futurama <laughs> Kirk goof. I don't know what this is. You ever watch Futurama? A little bit. So there's an episode of Futurama where there's an alien species that's obsessed with Star Trek. And there's like this running thing in Futurama where like a lot of famous people have had their heads preserved yeah, in a museum. I know that. Yeah. So they steal all the heads and basically make 
the actors of Star Trek do their fan script. Oh, God. <laughs> and that's one of the lines in it, like, after Kirk rips his shirt. It has been so many years since I have seen Futurama. It's Futurama is a fun episode. It's one of the best episodes of Futurama. Also, Futurama is one of my big sewing shows. That, so that, That's like an early seasons episode, right? I think so. Yeah, I know there's been multiple renewals that happened over the yeah. years. But it was like the the first run of Futurama. Yeah, it's it's definitely one of my shows that I put on as background when I sew. So I've seen Futurama a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the episode's good. Watch it. <laughs> Ariel then walks up to him and demands to go with him. And despite Hook's warning, she's allowed as she quotes the pirate's code. Any valuable information a pirate captain retains shall be compensated in equal favor. For a fearsome pirate, Hook sure is easily browbeaten to doing things. <laughs> it takes like nothing. People are just like, do it. And he's like, well, I guess I gotta. <laughs> All right, fine. Well, well, for one so mean to me. <laughs> Nobody knows. <laughs> Everybody always bullying Hook. <laughs> Poor Hook. Back in Storybrooke, Hook is sitting with Henry at the diner, playing dice and using fries as their winnings. When the Charmings come through the door with Ariel, they tell him of Eric, and Hook lies and tells him he's never heard of the prince. And Killian is so obviously lying in the scene. And I'm like, bud, come on. You could do better than that. Like, he like, like looks like shiftily, like back and forth. <laughs> I feel like sometimes he just, he wants people to ask and like dig to be like, oh no, you're lying. Mm-hmm. But, like he wants to be found out. He wants to tell the truth. He just, he needs someone to reach out for it. He needs the theatrics. He does. Meanwhile, Regina and Emma are in the vault. And the queen's plan is to create a solid foundation first, then build your skills from the ground up. But Emma is not paying attention to her words, but rather the things in the vault. Regina comments that Henry and Hook have been spending a lot of time together, and that Hook is prone to violence, impulse, and has a hook for a hand. What about him would a 12-year-old boy not like? Emma emphasizes that she trusts Hook but Regina comments on the yearning looks and Joy's hooks makes at Emma, who denies any reciprocation. It's okay, Regina. Emma has two hands. <laughs> at first, Regina intends to teach Emma by books, but takes inspiration from Rumpelstiltskin's rough and ruthless tactics and transports them to a suspension bridge to teach Emma to proverbially sink or swim. Back at the diner. David presses Hook for any information that might be useful in finding Prince Eric. Mary Margaret decides that Hook and Ariel should head over to Mr. Gold's shop, as many of the items they had in Fairytale Land have been returned to his shop. An item belonging to Eric might be there too, and could be used to track him with a locator spell. Hook tries to beg it off, insisting he has to keep an eye on Henry, but the Charmies are only too eager to take over. Hook takes David aside and insists that Prince Eric must be dead, and it's unreasonable to ply Ariel with false hope. David, of course, still believes, and wishes Hook and Ariel luck. David is the very definition of that song from Sexy Saxman in The Lost Boys. Future Lisa, blast I Still Believe by Tim Capello here. Back in the Enchanted Forest, Ariel's cloak gets stuck in some bushes as they tromp through the woods, and Hook rips it by using his hook to free her. She angrily informs him that it was Eric's cloak, 
which he entrusted with Ariel to keep safe and to have a piece of him with her. Hook then tells her that it doesn't matter as Eric's probably dead, because when meeting Blackbeard, one should prepare for the worst. Ariel admits that she was surprised over the fact that Hook might have been responsible for kidnapping her prince, as he had reunited Snow White with her family in Neverland. But Hook roughly pulls her aside and tells her he is not a hero. He is a pirate. I'm a rebel, Dottie. A loader. So long, Dot. <laughs> Alternatively, cue Jughead's, I'm a weirdo. <laughs> I'm weird. You never see me not wearing this hat. Don't you think that's weird? <laughs> In present-day storybook, Ariel returns with her totally not girlfriend, Belle, who has started to sort through some of the things, and they start looking for clues. Hook goes into the back room and discovers his spyglass. While peering through the eyes, he spies Eric's Ursula clasp and cloak, just as Belle and Ariel come to find him. While grasping the clasp, Hook tells Ariel that he remembered Eric being from a maritime kingdom when he spied the clasp. For Ariel, this is evidence that Eric has made the journey back to Storybrooke. Ecstatically, Ariel hugs a very shook Hook. Hey, that rhymes! <laughs> Back at the Bridge of Death, Regina explains that by pushing Emma's instinct to the furthest, her magic will be mastered. Regina then starts removing the boards of the bridge, making it collapse. Emma begs her to stop, and Regina yells at her to stop denying what's inside of her. The gay. The gay is inside of you, Emma. Channel it. Master it. I mean, in countless mediums, magic has mm. been basically a metaphor for queerness <laughs> and this will start my swan queen dissertation that i i'll probably write by the end of this <laughs> <laughs> i love them when did this happen to me we talked about this earlier we actually had like an hour and a half long discussion about it last night <laughs> we did like is regina irredeemable yes she did things we can never take back and they were awful mm -hmm. but i also really like this ship <laughs> it's fun it has so much potential they're great together Okay, back to the story. <laughs> Emma then falls, and for a moment, Regina fears that she is gone when Emma rises up by collecting the boards and making them float in the air. However, Regina is pissy as she accuses Emma has been wasting her potential. But honestly, I think she's just mad at how dreamy Emma looked when she just, like, magnetoed up from certain death. I mean, also that bridge is still broken, so I hope it didn't go anywhere important. You know, and they can't leave Storybrooke line, so, like, that is in Storybrooke. Yeah, which means it probably goes somewhere people need to go. Now Emma's <laughs> like, I made a wood tower, and Regina's like, great. Your next, your next lesson is rebuilding this bridge. <laughs> Way to hamper Amazon delivery. <laughs> we're gonna, we're gonna work on, like, fine magic movements by, like, you hovering a nail and hammer. Our next, our <laughs> next lesson is together. infrastructure. <laughs> Meanwhile, Belle pours the locator spell on the cloak, and the trio follow it. This is about to become that weird spooky Dr. Seuss story about the pants that go walking around town at night. Which book was that in? It was called What Was I Scared Of? Guess you're scared of your clothes coming to life like bed knobs and broomsticks. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, the narrator of the story is this like little animal looking dude who doesn't wear pants. Okay. So maybe clothes as a whole were frightening to him. But it's about a pair of pale gray pants that don't have anybody in them. And he sees them go walking at night and is afraid of them. <laughs> I would be afraid too. Back in the Enchanted Forest, Hook, Ariel, and Smee board the Jolly Roger. 
While Ariel searches for Eric, Hook challenges Blackbeard to a duel for the ship. I really love the shot of the sail coming unfurled and seeing Hook and Blackbeard's shadows fighting. It's like very extra for this show and I appreciate it because it's a, a nice serious nod to the old Douglas Fairbanks and Errol Flynn's silent films. Ooh, I want Tyka, but this guy back. <laughs> <laughs> we all wish Tyka was here. This guy's disappointing. Boo. <laughs> disappointing beard? Yeah, lame beard, more like. Am I right? <laughs> you are not wrong. <laughs> Hook wins the duel and is about to kill Blackbeard when Ariel informs him that he has to get Blackbeard to reveal the location of Prince Eric. Blackbeard sneers in disgust, claiming that Hook has gone soft and gives Hook two choices. Surrender the Jolly Roger and earn the location of Prince Eric or kill Blackbeard, thus killing Prince Eric too. Back in Storybrooke, Ariel and Hook are following the cloak as it leads them back to the docks, when it then abruptly sinks underwater. Heartbroken, Ariel breaks down and Hook apologizes as he comforts her. But I'm like, he could have just been scuba diving. Oh, honey. Babe. <laughs> Meanwhile, Mary Margaret and David are going to desperate extremes to appear cool to Henry by allowing him to drive David's truck. David, no, he's only little. David's just like, I'm cool, right? You like me, right? Grandpa's cool, right? Wait, I mean, I'm not your grandpa. That'd be absurd. But like, in general, grandpas are cool too, right? Kids like grandpas? <laughs> Mary Margaret stands by and worriedly watches as her husband and grandson succeed in destroying a USPS mailbox before careening down the main street. David, you beautiful fucking imbecile. <laughs> Mary Margaret's expression is very much that Kermit the Frog gif of him, like, biting his nails and shaking his yeah. head. <laughs> it's like, Jesus, Papa, you always start kids driving lessons in the country fields. Lord knows Maine has enough of them. I'm Chell, and I've been leaving my window open since I was 11 years old in the hopes I would be given the dark gift. You can find me blasting the bodacious soundtrack to The Lost Boys and laughing at memes taking a bite out of the Vampire Chronicles. I'm Tori, and I've been hoping to run into a vampire since I was 12. But like, one I can befriend, not one who will kill me. You can find me reading almost any book with a vampire in it and being angry about the final seasons of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Vampires have ruined our lives. That's why we're making a podcast about it. Our podcast discusses vampire books, movies, TV shows, tropes, folklore, and more. If it's about the fanged undead, we want to talk about it. So tune in to Vampires Ruin My Life, available wherever you find podcasts. Back at the docks, a forlorn Ariel thanks Hook for finding the cloak and tells him that he has a true heart and she is grateful for his help. Killian's gaze follows her as his expression grows confused and he's like, oh no, I have guilt about the consequence of my own actions. We return to the past where Hook has made his decision and makes Blackbeard walk the plank. 
Ariel pleads to his good nature to reconsider, to think about love. Hook tells her that love brings nothing but wasted years and endless torment. Without further ado, Hook shoves Blackbeard off the plank and into the ocean below. Triumphant, Hook has reclaimed his beloved ship. Ariel slaps him and comments that she was wrong about him, crediting his selfishness and heartlessness to be his true tormentor. She then walks the plank and dives into the water to continue her search for Eric as a mermaid. I do actually love that she was like, fuck this, and just jumps into the sea. Like, how often do we all want to do that? <laughs> Frequently. Yeah. But okay, 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 okay. But here's the thing. It bugs me whenever there's a plot like this where character A doesn't know character B from Adam, but is expected to bend over backwards or give up things most important to them for this complete stranger. So like, while I concede not the best move on Hook's part, it's kind of fucking presumptuous on Ariel's part. Like this man doesn't owe you anything just because the person who stole his ship kidnapped your boyfriend. He didn't kidnap your boyfriend. I don't know. It chaps my ass. Yeah, I agree. It's like the friend who just drags you in their messy drama. Like, not even, like, a, a legit friend. Like, an acquaintance, right? Except You're in this just... case, it's someone you don't even fucking know. She just showed up outside of a bar and was like, you owe me! <laughs> For no reason other than white entitlement. Come here. <laughs> she's been in these situations, and she's just been helped. You're a commoner. Uh, I can boss you. Well, yeah. not necessarily a commoner thing. It's just she keeps encountering, like, these noble <laughs> figures. These noble figures that are helping her <laughs> out of the goodness of their heart. She, you know, encounters Snow White. She's encountered Belle. These are the people who she keeps meeting and keeps helping her. And so she's like, oh, Hook. Hook helps Snow White. He's a hero, too. He will do the same thing because there's been, like, this record of first Snow White and then second Belle. And so she's like, oh, you're my third princess who's going to help me out of the goodness of his heart. And he's like, nah. I want my boat. Who the fuck are you? I want my ship. Yeah, so she's just, she's naive. She's, she's like, entitled. I don't think it's privilege. I, I really don't. I think it's naivety and that she has heard that he was a hero, that, that he helped out Snow and her family. Snow, who's her friend, and she's alone and on this mission. And first he was her only lead. And then, you know, he became basically her only hope. I don't know. I don't think it's privileged like she thinks he owes it to sacrifice something to save eric i think to her why wouldn't you sacrifice an object for a human life yeah this is also his fucking livelihood when you think about it like yes he's a pirate but like that is that's his thing he's a pirate mm -hmm. he needs a boat to be a pirate it's his livelihood She's oh, basically he was, like he was doing good with the God was he? It was all pretty lame. Pirate. <laughs> was he? Was he doing? He's basically good? he was, was a highwayman. He was a highwayman. I'm the highwayman. <laughs> Hook isn't obligated to help her, but she is like, oh, he's he's a hero, and he would because that's that's kind of how it's been so far, right? Like but he she's... also straight up tells her that's not the case, so it's kind of dead dove don't eat. Mm -hmm. True. Like, from the beginning, he's like, I'm not going to help listen, you. Listen, I don't know what you heard. I'm not a nice person. I don't want to help you. I just want my boat. And she's like, yeah, yeah, good, good. You can't get Eric back, right? And he's like, no. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not a nice person. I just want my boat. Why aren't you listening to me? And then when he's like, okay, so I'm going to get my boat. She's like, oh, you're awful. And you lied to me. He's like, oh, my God. <laughs> Hot takes with Lynn. <laughs> In Storybrooke, Hook catches up with Ariel. 
and confesses to her that they have met before in the missing year and tells her about their adventure. Horrified, Ariel slaps him. Does Captain slap a ship? I mean, probably. I mean, he gets slapped almost as much as he ends up on the floor, so maybe. Ariel demands to know why Hook made such a monstrous choice. Hook admits he was empty and trying to fill a void left by a broken heart. He apologizes to her and swears that he still believes in love because of Emma Swan, whose name he swore on. Ariel smirks, thanks him, and smacks him in the face with some green CGI and transforms into Zelina. This bitch. Zelina reveals that Ariel found Eric on Hangman's Island and they have been together in peace ever since, missing the curse. Selena wants to corrupt and curse Hook, so the next time Emma and Hook kiss, all of Emma's magic will be lost. Selena is a little extreme in her support of the Captain Swan ship. She's like, you're gonna kiss her, and it will uh, be the end of the magic. Fun fact, Hangman's Island is a real place just off the coast of Boston. No. Yeah. Huh. Everything's in Boston. Apparently. Hook warns her that he will tell Emma about it. But Zelina threatens to hurt the people around Emma, like the Charmings and Henry. Hook is officially helpless. Late that evening, Hook visits Emma to check on Henry. But at Emma's questioning, he tells her about the supposed day he had with Ariel, and that he came to say goodbye to Mary Margaret on her behalf. Regina gets an idea and has Emma use the magic mirror spell to check on Ariel, which she does successfully. The image shows Ariel and Eric lovingly hugging and running on a beach. Emma is totally into Hook's do-getting and his sudden modesty, but Hook is rescued as the Charmings and Henry return home. Henry declares he has had the best day ever as David permitted him to drive the truck which riles up Regina, who quickly brushes off her outrage as mayoral concern rather than maternal. Regina's like, you let him what? Really made me <laughs> laugh. David makes a comment about road repairs needed, but he seems very proud to have shown Henry his reckless, carefree, and fun side. Who's the cool grandpa now, Emma? <laughs> Mary Margaret is updated on Ariel, spoken awkwardly in code so as to not arouse suspicion in Henry. They decide on dinner at Granny's, and no, Henry, you could not drive. Hook slinks off, despite Emma's invitation. In the hall, Emma tells him that it doesn't matter what happened the past year. She is tired of living in the past. And so is he. We next see Regina, Henry, Emma, Mary Margaret, and David eating together at the diner. And the Charmings eating dinner at Granny's with Emma, Henry, and Regina was a very adorable tableau. Like, it was very warm and sweet. I thought it was cute. Mm -hmm. Hook is then seen walking across the street, and he takes one last look at Emma through his spyglass. And credits. Is it just me? Or was this episode pretty good? Like, the only thing that was kind of so-so was Blackbeard, honestly. And, and then as Lynn pointed out, and she has, yes, converted me, yeah, Ariel's complete just privilege showing. But Blackbeard is thankfully at least not part of the story at large so i guess who cares ariel unfortunately is but eh. <laughs> i kind of wish they had used a fictional pirate though like long john silver because blackbeard was real and i don't know it just fits more in like the whole storybook sense you know for to use somebody like long john silver but maybe they couldn't get the rights fun fact or i guess assumption 
because I'm only guessing. But I think they use Blackbeard because in the original tale of Peter Pan, it is stated that Blackbeard himself is afraid of Captain Hook. So it's a really big deal that Blackbeard is now looking down on Hook. That's true. But also in Peter Pan lore, the rumor has it that he was Long John Silver's boatswain. The rumor come out. The rumor come out. Does Bruno Mars is gay? The rumor come out. (laughs) What? (laughs) Okay. So does Bruno Mars is gay? Is this nonsense tabloid article that was clearly run through several different kinds of like machine learning translations like google translations and it's it's nonsense and the title is does bruno morris is gay and it's talked about on an episode of game grumps and it's a very funny game grumps segment so you guys keep going i'll find it but yeah so like i mean so he has like a long john silver connection as well Zelina was properly menacing in the scene with Hook, with her growl and threats. I feel like it was her first real moment of true villainy that, like, felt like a threat and not just a caricature of more impressive villains. Even though Ariel wasn't really there in the present, it was her in the past. And, you know, privilege and all, it was still like a delight just to see the actress and her being kind of zany, even if she was a little off the fucking rails. Also, the C-plot of the quote-unquote boring charmings was hilarious. All around, pretty good episode. It was nice to not be angry at an episode after the last two. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I'm actually with Ariel. I was disappointed in Killian for what could have been leaving Eric to die. But, you know, he's he's a pirate. And yes, technically he didn't owe her anything. But, you know, he's he won't let a maiden lose her heart like... He kind of has that chivalrous code. I I thought he would have, but, you know. I did actually really love this little moment of Zelina rubbing it in that Ariel was actually capable and found Eric without Killian's help. Mm-hmm. And that they were actually, they were out of the radius of the curse and they were living happily. Knowing once upon a time and things they've done in the past, I would not have been surprised if they were like, oh no, Eric is actually dead because of you. And so in this case, you know, Killian still has that guilt, but Ariel wasn't punished, or specifically Eric, you know, what they weren't punished to achieve that guilt, which I liked. I thought that was better. That was a little surprising. I like that they they did actually give them their happy endings because for a show about happy endings, they don't they don't give it to characters a lot. I also really enjoyed that we got to see a little more of Regina training Emma. Those are fun scenes. That was a good time. But honestly, the true stars of this episode are the Charmings trying to prove they aren't boring. I, I just love them. And David's truck. The and David's hero. truck. The true hero. David's truck would have absolutely saved Eric for Ariel. <laughs> I mean, the last few episodes were so bad that like this one, while I was kind of met on it, was like borderline a breath of fresh air by comparison. <laughs> And, like, I really liked the subplot of David being so determined to prove that he's the coolest slash best dad, which, like, come on, he already is the best dad, was really enjoyable. But the hook plot, as I discussed, chaps my ass. And I don't know, this show heavily leans on entitlement and points. I get Mm -hmm. that Ariel is a princess and entitlement and royalty go hand in hand, but Jesus... It all kind of reminds me of the first Pirates movie when Jack Sparrow disarms Will and Will is just dumbfounded how he could cheat. And Jack is just like, pirate. And that's what I kept waiting for Killian to yell whenever Ariel kept being like, but why? Pirate. Mm -hmm. 
I also wanted to add that I had told my co-host earlier on in 3B that Zelina was controlling Hook by way of his heart. I had actually forgotten it doesn't happen in the missing year, but now at this episode, which sadly means that those times that Hook was an a-hole earlier in 3B, he was actually a jackass and not under someone else's control. So that kind of bums me out a bit. Womp womp. Yeah, he's having he's having he's having some moments. He's yeah, he really is. Yeah. He left a man to die. Pirate. All right. Costumes. <laughs> Ariel's enchanted forest outfit is gorgeous, especially with Eric's cloak. Although the Ursula brooch clasp thing is like comically large and I kept expecting it to like knock her and cut her on her chin or something. It was so big. It was so clunky. But it was so cool. clunky. Was it supposed it was cool. to be a belt buckle and she was wearing it as a brooch? No, I think it was just a big old. Um, it was the size of her head. Clasp, yeah, it's yeah. Like a the size of her fucking head. Yeah, I I loved Ariel's enchanted forest look. I thought it was really really great. I also loved Belle's outfit because she looked so nautical, like a little sailor girl in her little blue and white ensembles. Very darling. I also I really loved Mary Margaret's red cape and the gloves with the heart cutouts. Oh, I didn't even notice. It it was so cute. It was it's in the beach scene and she just looks absolutely precious. It was a wonderful Mary Margaret. Look. Are those the same gloves that Ruby wears with the heart cutouts? Um, are they leather? I think they were the Ruby they ones. They could be the Ruby ones, yeah. But just oh, that's, oh, that's cute. That's so cute. Oh, Girlfriend bestie sharing clothes. Bestie sharing clothes. Gal pals. Gal pals just being just being gal pals. <laughs> I am now looking at a still of them. These are not the same gloves. The ones that Mary Margaret are wearing are gray with pink piping. They're so cute. They're very, very They're cute. They're adorable. And they go very well with her maternity red coat. Her little and nesting outfit. Her little nesting outfit. The only real thing of note I had regarding costumes was that I don't understand why Once Upon a Time keeps styling girls with horrifyingly messy hair. Like, they did it to Belle for a while, and thank Christ they finally stopped. But now they decided the curse of the Party City wig that has ricocheted around the back of your car since last Halloween is now <laughs> Rat's Nest Falls to Ariel? Like, I don't know if they're going for adventurous or what, but it just makes me want to take a wire comb and some mane and tail to it. I can't deal with it. I yeah. think they were trying to, like, show that she was stressed and at her wit's end. Yeah, and it's like adventurous and like has been like going yeah, around they, for like months. Yeah, but they put the rat's nest into a side pony and they're like, it's stylish and tousled. I'm like, it looks terrible. <laughs> they did that like exact same hairstyle for Belle before. Yeah, too. and Belle has finally escaped that. <laughs> She's finally escaped that. So the Party City wig has been passed to Ariel, I guess. <laughs> it's the cursed. It's cursed the cursed wig. Party City wig and everyone has to do their time, I suppose. <laughs> Someone was wearing red gloves, though. Someone was. I don't know. Oh, Regina. Regina. Ah, that's why. They've made a really big point of having Regina be in red gloves ever since the showdown with Zelina, where Zelina's wearing green gloves. Wizard duel. I think it's like to distinguish like her like as the red magic user. Mm -hmm. Which is funny because Regina's magic is purple. But so is Rumpelstiltskin's. Okay, so so it's just... I think it's just trying to distinguish even more yeah and i think it's the contrast since like zelina's all green coated to be like oh regina's all red coated now merry christmas yeah (laughs) happy holidays god bless us everyone (laughs) let's talk about guest stars (laughs) in season three episode 17 we have charles measure 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 i don't know your guess is as good as mine he played black messer 
Messer. Oh, maybe. Messer. Charles Messer as Blackbeard. English actor Charles Messer is known for his roles on TV shows like City Life, Xena Warrior Princess. Yeah, he was the, I think the Archangel Michael in Xena Warrior Princess and that, like, that really weird last season. Street Legal, Crossing Jordan, V, and The Magicians. And then we have J.C. Williams as the lead guard. And the only reason really why I gave him the shout out is because he does have a smattering of acting credits to his name, but he's best known as a stunt coordinator. And we love our stunt performers and they deserve more recognition. And J.C. is known for his reoccurring stunt work on, yep, you guessed it, Supernatural. Yep, do a shot. <laughs> All right, it's time to drive David's car. It's Here's time. a truck. <laughs> It's time to crash David's truck straight in the middle of this timeline. <laughs> so the flashbacks in this episode show part of Killian's not so missing year for him in the Enchanted Forest. So we can assume it takes place sometime after the flashbacks in season three, episode 12, New York Serenade, which shows him splitting from the group. These flashbacks likely happen around the same time as the flashbacks we see in Season 3, Episode 15, Quiet Minds, as it's clear a bit of time has passed and Hook and crew have a new land-based pirating scam established, as well as it's implied that Ariel and Eric did have some time together before Eric was lost at sea. And then, of course, the scene we've seen that takes place the most immediately after it is when Killian shows up on Emma's doorstep at the end of season three, episode 11, Going Home. Time for our rants and raves. It's hard to have too much to talk about this week, which Elisa will tell you why. But I started Chainsaw Man and I'm cautiously optimistic because I've really liked the first four episodes, but I don't want to give my full endorsement of the series before I've seen all of it. But one of the characters is a pink-haired demon girl who doesn't like people and only likes cats, so it sort of has my number already. Well, give me the pitch for this show. What is it about? I mean, it's it's about demon slayers, basically. Oh, okay. And the lead, the lead guy is, he essentially fused with a demon that allows him the ability to become Chainsaw Man to fight demons. Which means that he gets chainsaws coming out of his arms and out okay, of his Okay, that's forehead. what I was about to ask. <laughs> yep. It's very violent. <laughs> Is it very campy at least? A little. It's extremely over the top. Like the first the first episode's like a little rough just cuz I mean it it definitely it toes the line of like horror at points. Mhm. Mm but it's very it's very black comedy. Okay, okay. It at least and I and I might eat my words because I'm only 4 episodes in. But it's weirdly refreshing in the fact that while the main character is kind of a pervert, the anime itself is not perverted. Okay, I get you. Like, they don't, there's no objectifying angles of the girls. The girls are never dressed skimpily. Mm -hmm. And there's even, like, weirdly enough, there's an episode where the demon girl I talked about spends a huge chunk of it naked because it's a flashback to before she was, like, taken in and being like, hey, you need to work with the humans, and she was just feral. But her nudity is not exploitative. Yeah. It's okay. just, she's feral, so why would she wear clothes? Sure. She's just a weird feral demon girl in the woods with her pet cat. Sounds like she's living the dream life. Pretty much. Power's <laughs> kind of my hero. <laughs> she sacrifices a man to save her pet cat. I mean, what's not to love? So we saw Encanto live at the Hollywood Bowl together with our friend Ariana, and it was really awesome. And then the next day, which was yesterday, 
I hosted another board game day for my queer folk social club, and that went off really well. So I am enjoying being involved in that and creating safe spaces nice. for my fellow queers. Otherwise, <laughs> those are kind of like the shining lights and otherwise, you know, a stressful season for me. And then I just am looking forward to all of the wonderful plans I have scheduled until the end of the year. I'm just looking forward to making also a lot of uh, huga, if you know it. It is like the Scandinavian hosiness. So yeah, there's that... a whole song about it in Frozen the Musical. It's not good. <laughs> I can't believe they cut when everything falls apart and they cut true love, but they left it in huga. <laughs> yeah, so we saw Encanto Live at the Hollywood Bowl and it was really fun. The week before that, and even even right now, it, it's, it has been really stressful because Lynn and mine's cat, Merlin, uh, did have to go have emergency surgery on uh, daylight savings time. Yeah, um, that was weird and liminal. In the middle of the night, yeah, sitting in that waiting room, experiencing 1 a.m. twice. Um, oh, God! It was awful. It was absolutely awful. I was crying so much. Um, but Merlin's home, and she's on the mend and is doing better every day. She's just a little wobbly girl in her grogu t-shirt that lynn made to fit her and her little sunflower soft cone and she kind of looks like a sad little triceratops <laughs> snow white will never menace you again merlin i swear <laughs> <laughs> but yeah she's she's doing much better um she's still on her meds and stuff so she's still a little out of it but it's it's clear she's definitely doing a little better every day so i'm glad Next time on Once Upon a Rewatch. After Zelina steals Regina's heart, Regina casts a spell so that she can speak across realms to her dead mother, Cora, to discover the truth about why she abandoned Zelina. And Belle stumbles across what Zelina's ultimate endgame is. Meanwhile, in the fairy tale land that was, young Cora is duped by a man claiming to be a prince and finds herself alone and pregnant. Thank you for tuning in to Once Upon a Rewatch. We are the Narrators 3. The moral of this episode is, your grandparents are cool, Henry. Talk fairy tales with us on anchor.fm slash once upon a rewatch. Tweet us at once upon rewatch. Participate in episodic polls on Instagram at once upon rewatch. Follow us at once upon a rewatch.tumblr.com. If you enjoy Once Upon a Rewatch, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on your platform of choice. The artwork for a podcast was by Lychee Ruru. We want to say a very special thank you to the master of free music, Kevin McLeod. Our intro music is Frost Waltz, and our outro music is Fairy Tale Waltz. This podcast uses material from episode-specific pages on the Once Upon a Time wiki at Fandom and is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike License. And remember, all plot devices come with a price. Triumphant, Hook has reclaimed his beloved shop. <laughs> shop. <laughs> Claimed his beloved ship.